0: There are only two cell types in the human body that can regenerate tissue and organs, stem cells and fibroblasts. The latter are the primary cells in connective tissue. And while it's understood that they collectively comprise the extracellular matrix responsible for maintaining the structural integrity of human tissue, they are perhaps an undervalued asset in the space of regenerative medicine, or at least so think the leaders of fibrobiologics. Fibrobiologics is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company with a phase two lead asset called Cybrocell developed to address degenerative disc disease. But beyond disc regeneration, which might sound like an obvious job for fibroblast technology, fibrobiologics is studying the application of fibroblasts in some less evident indications, including a phase one study in multiple sclerosis and preclinical work in cancer immunotherapy and cancer therapeutics. I'm Matt Piller, and on today's episode of the Business of Biotech, I'll be learning from Pete O'Hearan, Chairman, CEO, and Founder at FibroBiologics, and Hamid Koja, PhD, who serves as the company's Chief Scientific Officer. Prior to launching FibroBiologics, Pete was CEO of Neosurge Technologies and Fibrogenesis, having launched his life sciences career in the late 80s with Christus Health. Dr. Koja joined the team last summer after many, many years doing research and application science for the likes of Eli Lilly, Sequenum, Digilab Genomic Solutions, and Colvaras. So Pete and Hamid, it's uh, it's uh, it's great to have you guys on the show and welcome. Thank you for joining Thank
1: you. Thank okay. you for having us.
0: My pleasure. Pete, I wanna I want to start with you. Uh, so back in the 90s, you left a pretty sizable health system uh, in, in Christus to lead of biotech. Uh, you'd been there for a little while and, uh, and you left there to, to get into the, the biotech leadership and eventually entrepreneurial space. Um, and that's what you've been, been doing since, since the, the mid nineties, it's, it's quite a departure. So tell me a little bit about that. What prompted that move back then?
1: Well, I think I thought originally I'd grown up to be a hospital administrator. Uh, and when I joined, uh, Christus, I was doing product development. We built the, probably the first sports medicine program um, in the Houston area, if not the state of Texas. And working closely with doctors, I found out they are a unique group. They all are natural inventors. They all have the resources to prototype, file patents, and then they kind of stop. and They don't know where to go from there. So a group of surgeons talked me into leaving, and uh, we designed a set of surgical instruments that we took to every venture capitalist in the country and told them we designed the best instrument system in the world. And they said, no, you didn't. Uh, over a hundred meetings, wow. and uh, 25 patents later, we returned 950 percent to our shareholders, and we were right. And we went back to those VCs and we thanked them for their guidance and told them what we'd done. And most of them said they're check writers, and uh, we said, "Well, we just deal with individual surgeons and, and physicians." But one of them called and said that they had an night that his actually his brother was a French neurosurgeon and his wife was a French dermatologist, and they had this idea. Provisional patent, being a neurosurgeon, said you could take a fibroblast, inject it into the spine, you could potentially regrow the disc. And everything we've worked on in the past were kind of improved technologies. And this one, if it worked, was a game changer. Mm-hmm. So we acquired that, uh, that patent, um, came back and began work on that. And I'm proud to say we've organically written almost 400 patents to go along with that original provisional. So we've seen, uh, uh we've been, uh, I think prolific in the lab in the last five years, and we've seen application for fibroblasts far outside of the, of the disc of the original idea, uh, into almost every element of chronic disease.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you skipped ahead quite a bit there already, Pete. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get into some of that, uh, more recent backstory around what fibrobiologics is doing, uh, shortly. Um, but, but I just want to comment, I guess, you prove that if a if a, if a group of surgeons if you work for a hospital network and a group of surgeons ask you to leave it's not necessarily a bad thing.
1: Well, I will tell you that I had a had um, it was a Catholic uh, group that owned the system and I told them I might be back in six months if it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. So I said, give me six months and uh, and, and I might be back, but. That's I just, cool. uh, I just, I love the, uh, the entrepreneurial side. I love the, the kind of the blank slate working with guys to bring something, uh, to the finish line. So, um, just, it actually became my, my entire career calling.
0: Was that something that you felt like, uh, was, was, was inside of you, uh, even when you were working in the comfortable confines of the, of the hospital network, uh, mm-hmm. that you were just kind of itching to, itching to release and that opportunity it, it,
1: to you? I, I think it was, you know, the first Two weeks I was there. I was just out of grad school and I was telling the, I was a group of wonderful nuns that ran this huge hospital system. And I wanted to, said we should buy this hospital and we should buy this professional office building. And and one of the nuns said, you outgrew us the first week you were here. <laughs> we, we had no idea that, uh, that there was this, well, and they wanted to go outside of the Catholic order and recruit in executives, professional executives, because that Catholic order was, aging and they weren't really replenishing their um their um novitiates and so they were looking to people like myself to come in and lead them to the next uh, uh you know the next evolution of healthcare. and i don't think they were prepared for someone to come in and have so many ideas <laughs> so i think yeah. that uh, you know they were they weren't surprised when i left with a group of surgeons. I'll say that. And the surgeons still stayed there. So we're, we all stayed very good friends through the process.
0: Yeah. Very good. Very good. We'll learn from Dr. Koja here uh, shortly, whether you're still bringing that overzealous attitude to the company that you had. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see how much he's willing to share. He's only been with the, with the company since what, August, 2021?
2: Yes. Koja? Yeah. yeah I've, I, I joined uh, in uh 2021 August and so far it's been quite a very nice ride. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, both Pete and I are very uh, energetic, uh, and uh, we love to tinker. Uh, we love to pass around ideas and uh, and test them. So it's it's been a it's been a great uh, synergy between us. So we've done great so far.
0: Very good. Uh, before I ask you another question, uh, may, I, I want to make sure so I, I Americanize everything, and w- worse than that, I Pennsylvania Americanize everything. So- <laughs> Pronounce for us uh, your last name so that I. am No, Koja.
2: That's uh, perfect. I think uh, oh, we okay. chose the spelling uh, in English that would be the easiest to pronounce. So it's uh, you're you're pronouncing it perfectly.
0: Very good. I'll pat myself on the back. So um, you you earned your PhD in molecular biology at Boston University, and after you did that, you spent a few years um, in big pharma. You worked for yes. A uh, couple of big companies. Uh, what appealed to you about making the move to uh, a younger, emerging biotech?
2: Yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, I, although I loved working at big pharmaceuticals because you have unlimited resources uh, in terms of not only being able to do certain research, but also uh, resources, intellectual resources from the people, and, uh, very. Uh, Intelligent people that are there, but unfortunately, uh, bureaucracy does take a toll on large pharmaceutical companies, which is the reason why they buy smaller biotechs to enhance their product lines. Uh, so, for me, moving into a smaller com- smaller uh, startups uh, was, I think, a way to make more of an improvement in some of the research that I was thinking uh, that was important. And I think that's why I moved to uh, a smaller companies. I think uh, this one is the fourth um, startup uh, that I've been in. And I think I, I not only like the pace, but I also like the flexibility. Uh, and uh, uh, also there's a certain uh, sense of uh, thinking outside the box which is very important, I think, in scientific discovery that I only tend to see in startups uh, and, and larger companies that tends to get dampened, unfortunately, uh, which is natural uh, progression. But I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm very interested in being part of startups.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, so, Pete, you started to get into the the genesis story of fibrobiologics uh, there, there just a few minutes ago. And I want to dig into that um, a, a little bit more deeply. Um, how, first of all, how long has the company been? When was the company founded? How long you been around?
1: Since two thousand eight ish.
0: Okay. And leading into that, I mean this this was uh, a space. If I'm if I'm reading your uh, work history, you know, your your uh, your CEO history accurately, this was a space that you you were already plugged into, or you would you would. Uh,
1: well, only in the sense that we were working closely with surgeons. <clears throat> so the previous project was predominantly general surgeons, and this project has predominantly been neurosurgeons.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So let's start at uh, sort of a, a fundamental level. Uh, as I mm-hmm. as I noted in my in my preamble, uh, fibroblasts. You know, obviously we know that they're a, they're a, a cell, right? Tell us more about it. Like, tell us more about what a what a fibroblast is and, and what fibrobiologics is doing with them.
1: Well, I can tell you what fibrobiologics is doing, and I can tell you what a fibroblast is, but I might be caught without a PhD. So I'll let uh, Hamid <laughs> give you that.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm just going to, yeah, right. <laughs>
1: I'm,
0: I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to toss questions out there. And you
1: guys can wrestle over who's Hamid can give you the <laughs> I, I, actual. Yeah, fibroblasts, no,
2: fibroblasts okay. uh, certainly are one of the most predominant cells uh, in the human body they are they are uh, responsible for the formation of uh, connective tissue the extracellular matrix uh, so they they're everywhere uh, in every organ and uh, they form and they comprise uh, multiple levels of interaction with other cell types and other organs and other systems in the human body. Uh, what uh, uh, you mentioned earlier in your in your introduction was: fibroblasts are only one of the two type of cells that can differentiate into different cell types. For example, uh, chondrocytes, uh, osteoblasts, epithelial um, cells, etc. But they also have a very predominant or prominent. Um, uh, immune modulation capability. They do uh, secrete a lot of cytokines and uh, uh, so they can interact with the immune system very closely as we've seen with some of our uh, the publications that have been out in the last 20 years or so. And uh, they do have, uh, th- one of the reasons why we like the fibroblasts and, and, and Pete will certainly uh, agree with me there is that they're so easy to source and they are very easy to grow uh, as compared to stem cells, which are have been in in the news and in research for a, v- a very long time, uh, fibroblasts are easier to source, easier to culture, cheaper. Um, so they we find that they are much better source for some uh, of the chronic diseases that we're studying uh, for application. So I think um, it it does serve. Um, uh, As well, in terms of thinking about fibroblasts, as not not as a replacement for stem cells, but perhaps as another way of thinking for certain uh, diseases of using fibroblasts instead of stem cells. Hmm.
1: We like to say that fibroblasts can become anything you need them to become, including a stem cell. If you need a stem cell, you can make one from a fibroblast. Um, And they appear, at least in our studies in the lab, to be more potent than stem cells, uh, much, as Hamid mentioned, much less expensive to harvest, to grow, to ship. They're just a more robust cell. Um, and, you know, being is a reason why we evolved with them being the most populated cell in the human body. They have an interaction in almost everything that we've studied.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing to notice, like compared to stem cells, uh, they outnumber stem cells about ten to 15,000 to 1. So be, as you, you can imagine, in terms of sourcing and culturing, uh, even doubling times are significantly lower than stem cells. So you can easily culture them very uh, much better, much more easily, cheaply uh, than uh, stem cells.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to play the skeptic here and just ask you some probably uh, naive and, and basic questions to, 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 challenge the notion, right? So, so don't, don't be Absolutely. offended.
2: Don't be Oh offended. no, not at all. Uh, we're in okay. science. We don't get offended. Easily. <laughs> uh,
0: so, so, so first of all, um, why, you know, I, I, since I've been covering the space, I've been in the space for just a couple few years now um, embryonic tissue specific progenitor mesenchymal umbilical cord bone marrow and induced pluripotent stem cells have been the conversations that I've had with uh, cell therapy uh, companies why, yes. why why am I not familiar with uh, with a the therapeutic approach uh, using fibroblasts
2: I think one of the main reasons for that being is that stem cells have been the I, since since the uh, since the patent, uh that uh, mentioned the use of stem cells for possible potential therapeutic uses uh, that has been the the main cell type to mention main cell type to research and i think that uh it sort of developed into a huge uh, market for stem cell-based therapy companies, but also in research and companies, pharmaceutical companies, small companies, even research institutions, thinking of uh, stem cells as a way uh, of uh, uh, developing therapies. But I think uh, being, uh, and, and we see that in a lot of the clinical trials that have been done using stem cells, they're not that easy to work with. And I think some of these therapy companies that you mentioned that use stem cells, they would admit that, yes, they might see some clinical feasibility of them using it for a specific application or clinical outcome. Just being able to do that in a large setting uh, for a, a huge number of patient sets or in having the consistency uh, in terms of uh, the cells... It's, it's very difficult. And sometimes, uh, with some stem cells and with some applications, they're practically impossible. You might be able to show it in a lab setting, in an in vitro and in vivo setting, in a small clinical study, but being able to apply that to a larger clinical uh, therapy uh, becomes very difficult. And that's where I think fibroblasts are superior in that they are much easier to grow, much easier to identify uh, much easier to maintain and culture and, and be able to um, provide it, provide those cells for a large clinical study or even therapeutic purpose. And I think that's the main purpose for reason why we haven't really seen a lot of stem cells coming into the clinical use is because of that. It's They're just very difficult to work with.
0: Yeah, Yep. yep. Um, so again, keeping the skeptic hat on, uh, in, in science as in life, uh, just, just because it's, uh, easy or prolific, uh, doesn't necessarily make it good. So, so let's about, yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, you mentioned that these cells can become anything a stem cell can, um, therefore like what, uh, what are the applications and, and limitations, uh, of, uh, fibroblasts in terms of their therapeutic
2: yeah. Like for example, you mentioned uh, degenerative disease. So phase two, uh, we're looking at the data, finalizing, analyzing the data to see how um, how uh, efficacious it, it has been. But uh, in multiple sclerosis, we ca- in in some of the in all our preclinical study, we compared with uh, bone marrow and adipose drive mesenchymal stem cells, and we found them to be significantly superior than those type of cells and immune modulation that is necessary for some of these autoimmune diseases. So uh, we, we see that uh, as, well, uh, as a positive for uh, fibroblasts. Uh, and also, if we look at other diseases, for example, some of the chronic diseases, such as wound healing, right for diabetic ulcers, et cetera, uh, there are clinical studies that are looking into possibly using uh, stem cells for those as well. But we have uh, filed some patents, and we're starting uh, an, a clinical, a uh, preclinical study. On using um, on using fibroblasts for wound healing. Uh, if you look at all the publications, fibroblasts are an important part of wound healing. They are uh, uh, they they have a role to play in every step of the wound healing, from the initial inflammation step to the tissue remodeling that occurs at the end. Fibroblasts are a major component. So we're tr- we're trying to see if we could use our specific fibroblasts, uh, uh, dermal fibroblasts for use in wound healing. Now, there are a lot of different types of fibroblasts. There there are hundreds of subtypes. So our goal is to identify these specific subtypes in our human dermal fibroblasts and to use them for specific applications. Uh, So it's not that fibroblasts are... In general, you can use them for any application. I don't think. I think that's overreaching uh, a little bit, and uh, but I, I think in terms of using fibroblasts, uh, specific pop, subpopulations of fibroblasts for specific applications, I think that's going to be crucial, and that's right. our goal uh, in the next year, year and a half, is to identify more subtypes for specific clinical applications.
0: Very good. I want to uh, and and I do want to a bit later on uh, get into some of the specifics around uh, differentiation of the of the cells themselves for specific applications and understand how that kind of mechanism of action works. because, as I said in the beginning, you know it, it's it seems to make perfect sense that if you have a cell that is uh, structural in nature, contributes to you know some semblance of of tissue structure you know, sure. Let's rebuild discs with it. Let's, you know, heal, heal, heal wounds with it. Uh, but it's application in some of those, you know, oncology indications I'm, I'm, I'm curious about. So we'll get into that in a minute, but you've okay. mentioned, uh, you've mentioned a few times, uh, that, that, uh, sourcing material, uh, is, is a big advantage of, of fibroblasts. So yes, walk us through that. Uh, and, and again, Pete, jump in here whenever you want to, you know, if, so I, I know, I know, uh, obviously Hamid wants to, wants to talk science and he's, he's, he's having a good time <laughs> talking science over here, but if you want to weigh in Pete with like sort of the, you know, the C, the C level uh, CEO's business perspective on these things, that's, that'd be great too. Cause I want to know, I want to know how the, how the cells are, um, are harvested, but I also want to know, like from your perspective, Pete, like you got to turn around to the, the stakeholders and the shareholders and say, Hey, what we're doing is efficient, right? What we're doing is, is saving us uh, money and helping us, Win the race against some of these super difficult to procure uh, cell therapies. So,
1: yeah, and you know, I I think that um, what we're going to find with respect to the mechanism is critically important to us. um, That will reveal itself over time. But in the um, degenerative disc, for example, uh, a, a, a hypoxic condition with intermittent hydrostatic pressure. So the force the vertebrae apply on that disc forces these fibroblasts to turn into chondrocytes. That's just one recipe. Uh, you're gonna see it different for each of the clinical uses that we've chosen to pursue. So every one of them is gonna have a little bit different and, and some mechanic, uh, some mechanism um, may be more difficult to understand than others. And that's, I me and his team's role is to really understand that. Um, more than just it works people want to know why it works and mm-hmm. and how it works and so that that's important for us mechanistically how, how how we can explain that to the market so um i think that's 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 important for us and it's not always the easiest thing to determine either you're so excited that it's working multiple sclerosis for instance it could stop the progression now we have to understand how is it stopping the progression
2: right yeah. And, and I think you asked the question about uh, sourcing of this, uh, of these fibroblasts. Uh, mm-hmm. We use excess uh, surgical uh, tissue from su- surgeries for, um, uh, for uh, sourcing uh, the dermal fibroblasts. So they're very easy to source. Uh, whereas with uh, stem cells, you either have to do it from adipose tissue uh, or uh, from bone marrow, uh, which is uh, uh, difficult. But also, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of the abundance of these cells, uh, stem cells, uh, fibroblasts are about ten to 15,000 times more abundant than stem cells. So you can imagine mm-hmm. the number of cells that you can obtain uh, from uh, access surgical tissue, the uh, number of fibroblast cells is quite high. Whereas but, but with uh, stem cells, yeah, back,
0: back up, back back up, real real quick, and you know, excess yeah. surgical tissue. I need more on that. So, like, what? Give, give us some examples of like. Standard, for, for example, uh, for example, right? That, yeah, that for for right?
2: example, uh, d- um, a lot of surgeries involving, let's say, tummy tuck, or any surgery in which some tissue is uh, resected, skin tissue, can be used as a source for fibroblasts. Okay. Uh, so typically, these t- these tissues are discarded. But uh, we have a way of um, using that same tissue for um, uh, sourcing the fibroblasts, okay. so uh, and and growing these fibroblasts uh, to to for them to ma- remain minimally uh, immunogenic. So uh, we 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 have a way. Of, uh, well, uh, it's not patented, but we have a proprietary way of doing that, and it's, it works quite well. And because the fibroblast grows at much faster rate, uh, the double time, uh, doubling time is much faster than stem cells, we can easily obtain hundreds of millions of cells within a matter of weeks rather mm-hmm. than have to deal with months and months of culturing. And also, we have to remember that stem cells are very sensitive to passaging. Uh, They tend to change over time as you passage them more within 9 to 10 passages, they tend to change. So you can't really expand stem cells to a great deal because you you are limited by the number of passages you can passage uh, stem cells. Whereas with fibroblasts, you can passage them longer to 12 to 15 passages without noticing any change into the cell morphology uh, and uh, phenotype. Uh, so it gives us a more of a freedom to operate and grow more cells more consistently uh than stem cells and uh yeah surgical waste uh, surgical access tissue uh is uh predominant in the US and other countries so uh often they're discarded but we can use them and we don't need much we only need about a few millimeters squared areas uh, of the tissue to uh, to isolate and grow the fibroblasts
0: mhm no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's a, it's like next level recycle, reduce, reuse. I've, I've had conversations. Exactly.
1: No, for that, I mean, like no <laughs> patients were harmed in, in harvesting our cells. Well, all,
0: so, I mean, all, all jokes aside, it's an important point. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, especially early days for cell therapies, a lot of the conversations around stem cells were very, uh, you know, very contentious, uh, uh, very uh, controversial polarizing right and in yes. this case it's uh it's difficult to manufacture an argument against the responsible use of something that would otherwise be discarded I've had conversations with cell therapy companies that do uh you know that, that, that harvest source material from uh you know placental material that would otherwise have been uh, right. started and it's like it, it, it's difficult for me to imagine a world in which that is not an admirable pursuit.
2: Right, and, and you know, with, with certain stem cells, uh, d- there is an ethical issue involved as well, right? Sure. So that makes it difficult. Uh, uh, whereas with uh, fibroblasts, uh, I, uh, they're not there. It's not an argument.
0: When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations like mRNA and cell and gene therapies into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need to know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C Y T I V A dot com backslash emerging biotech. Um, so, you gave us sort of a, a good idea of the way that uh, you know, the the, the harvesting happens, collection, um, some some insights into the the process. Um, what are the advantages? Dig into the advantages on on the back end, you know, closer to administration, for instance. Um, I think I I, I read or perhaps you said something about these, uh, you know, the the, the end product being perhaps hardier, more transportable. Uh give, give us some give it give us some sense for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, because uh, fibroblasts are very hardy uh, and uh, we can culture them easily, we can remain the consistency of the product throughout uh, the, uh, the processing and manufacturing, we can easily manufacture hundreds of millions of cell doses. Mm-hmm. So we can easily do that, and in terms of shipping and uh, uh, to clinical sites and so on, it's much more easier. Being able to uh, thaw these frozen cells and use the mothers for infusion and direct injection, etc., for um, in vivo studies, uh, it's much easier. Uh, they, they are more; they will survive the thawing process and infusion process at a higher rate uh, as compared to stem cells. So I think it makes it. It makes them more usable uh, or <clears throat> more friendly to use uh, with some applications. Because think of it, if you're doing a clinical study that involves a few hundred patients and it will involve multiple injections or infusions of stem cells, uh, you can imagine the the, 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 the task required to... Um, to grow these stem cells and uh, not just grow them, but to make sure they're consistent, make sure that they're the same exact markers on uh, all of the uh, cell markers, et cetera, that they haven't differentiated, it becomes very difficult. Whereas with, with uh, fibroblasts, uh, you have uh, a much less worry in terms of differentiation, in terms of consistency and culturing. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there uh, perhaps uh, some? I don't. I don't. Maybe disadvantage is too strong a word, but is there some challenge uh, associated with uh, with fibroblasts as a you know therapeutic starting uh, cell material? Um, is, is there some challenge that perhaps uh, those other stem cell approaches don't don't face? Like, it, let me let me ask you this. Right, I'll put it to you this way. I'm I'm not yeah. a scientist. I'm not a scientist, but many, many of our uh our, our listeners are. And and if there's a, a potential disadvantage or challenge, uh Solvable or otherwise, uh that, that uh is, is obvious to any one of those listeners, they're gonna be sitting there going, Matt, why don't you ask him this, right? Yeah. So
2: no, that, that's a that's a very good question. I think uh like any uh um cell-based therapy approach, there will be advantages and disadvantages and limitations, right? Mm-hmm. So uh for for fibroblasts. Uh, I'm sure there are limitations. That's why we're limiting their utility for testing to certain clinical applications that we think they they would have an advantage. While there are quite a few um other uh clinical applications that stem cells will be far significantly better and and we applaud that i think we applaud their use uh, because if the more uh, uh clinical applications in utility that is approved derived or um uh, envisioned uh, or invented by stem cells uh, we can certainly think of that as a possible use for uh fibroblasts as well so uh, limitations yes Like anything, there will be limitations, and uh, that's why we've limited our um, our pipeline to certain uh, uh, clinical outcomes. Uh, And uh, disadvantages, I think I would say the same thing in terms of differentiating a stem cell into a tissue type might uh, a certain tissue type might require only a certain amount of uh, uh, training uh, to get them to differentiate with stem cell with fibroblasts. With certain tissue types, it might require more work to get them to differentiate. So I think that might be some of the disadvantages, but the disadvantages are uh, based on op- uh, clinical applications. I personally don't see a general uh, limitation or disadvantage to using fibroblasts. I just see limitations, and I don't, I don't necessarily see that limitation as, uh, something bad. I think it, 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 everything has a limit and, and I think we have to operate within our limits and what we think these cells can do. And I think we have set a good, um, uh, boundaries for use of these cells currently.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, well said. Uh, it's good, good answer to that, that question. Um, so I, I do want to talk about uh, a little more specifically about some of those applications and, and, you know, maybe, um, as I said, I, I think wound healing, I think, uh, you know, as far as your pipeline's concerned, the degenerative, uh, disc disease, uh, seem like obvious applications for, uh, a prolific, uh, structural grower. Uh, what about some of the other, the, the MS indication and and the two, uh, oncological indications that you guys have identified, I think so far, uh, in your right. preclinical program well, for, for yeah, MS,
2: yeah. yeah our pre our preclinical study which we're submitting a manuscript and I think we're also presenting it as a, a poster or a possible oral uh, 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 presentation at a meeting in June, is it, it's it looks very promising. The preclinical study has shown that in an animal mouse model study it's far superior. Uh, and, uh, uh, and reducing the inflammation, reducing some of the signs of degradation that we see in multiple sclerosis. And our phase one study for um the human trial, which we carried out and completed uh, in uh, August of last year, late August of last year, shows a lot of promise. We found that uh, it was a safety safety trial. We were basically infusing 100 million uh, of these tolerogenic fibroblasts into MS patients. And we found that uh, it uh, we we not only saw them to be uh, tolerant, tolerable, uh, they didn't show any adverse events. Uh, so it's past the safety aspect. But we were also monitoring some efficacy and we saw some uh, improvement in some of the tests that are typically done for MS patients, like for example, the 25 foot walk test or the serial um, addition test, we saw some improvement there as well. So so we're hopeful that once we are fully funded, uh, we will submit an IND for a phase two, three uh, trial uh, Mm -hmm. to look at a long-term study with a greater number of patients and to look at the efficacy that we've seen um, uh, as, as potential um, uh, use for fibroblasts for MS.
0: The um, you, first of all, I got to ask Pete, why'd you bring this guy on, on board as CSO Pete? I mean, he doesn't have much to say. He he doesn't
1: even, (laughs) this guy bring anything. He is. uh, I know. I'm not not much of a talker. (laughs) He's curious. He's curious. He's a sponge. He reads everything. I think uh, uh, I can send him a, peer review paper at midnight and he'll have it read by the morning and ready to talk about it. So uh, I think he's a, a great, great partner.
0: Yeah. Well done. Well done in, in all seriousness though. Uh, and, and I've got more, more questions about indications, but was it a strategic time for you last year to, to bring uh, Hamid on and that role specifically chief, chief scientific officer?
1: It was. And, you know, as I told Hamid then and continue to tell him that that is proof of us putting science first he's employee number one um and that's why we wanted to put the science first we weren't going to fill any other positions until we had that cso position and that made a statement to the market it made a statement to our scientific advisory board if you go look on our website and see you're seeing international experts in the field of stem cells are on our scientific advisory board um, because they're excited about what we can do with fibroblast so uh, i you know People say let the science lead the company. We're actually doing that.
0: Cool, Doctor Koja, I, I was going to f- ask you a follow-up question on that MS indication. Um yep. and I think I also read this that uh, you know th- there's p- some evidence that, uh, that that your fibroblast therapies um, may have superior anti-inflammatory properties than than some of the you know, cell therapies that we're seeing uh, are competitive or otherwise on the market. Yes. Uh, do Do we know why why that is and what those advantages might be? I mean, obviously, inflammation is associated with uh, any, any manner of of disease. Um. So, so uh, you know, anti-inflammatory properties equal good. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Immune modulation, right? Immune modulation is the key for some of these. Uh, Uh, autoimmune disorders and being able to control that and modulate the immune system to reduce the inflammation. For example, we find that the fibroblasts in our in vivo model uh, reduces the the expansion or prevents the expansion of pathogenic T cells. These are TIL-17 excreting cells uh, that is important in uh, uh, in ms uh, it can uh, reduce that significantly as compared to stem cells. But we also find that it, 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 uh, it, um, the fibroblasts can also increase the expansion of T-regulatory cells, which are important in maintaining the homeostasis uh, and uh, controlling the inflammation for MS. And uh, one of the things to note uh, for our safety clinical trial, um, uh, we found that within that time period, none of the patients went through an MS episode. So uh, that was very intriguing to us, is to see if in a long-term study uh, using... And that was, uh, mind you, that was only a single infusion of 100 million cells uh, what can we do with multiple infusions uh, during a, a time period of, let's say, a year? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're really hopeful that we could manage to see some efficacious results. The, I mean, uh, if you look at the main therapies for MS these days, there are either small molecules or antibody-based therapies, like they sequester B cells, etc., and they have long-term impact. Uh, they, they're very difficult to tolerate. Um, the side effects are very bad, um, comparatively. So I think what we see, what we hope is that with cells, uh, we would be able to reduce a lot of these major side effects and, uh, without having to, uh, deplete a certain population of cells in a human body, which could impact, uh, other immune issues later on in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, um, I know it's, I know it's real early days in your, uh, your preclinical cancer activity, but uh, do you, do you have, I mean, is there anything that can be said there in terms of what your uh, approach might be or your hoped uh, mechanism of action?
2: Yeah, and in terms of, we're, we're looking into the mechanism of action, but in terms of just some of our uh, initial clinical, uh, preclinical study, we find that we've been able to reduce uh, tumor size by, by direct injection of uh, fibroblasts in the t- tumor microenvironment. These are human dermal t- fibroblasts. So we've seen some uh, reduction in tumor size that has been significant uh, as compared to control. Uh, we're going to look into more into what that mechanism of action might be and which type of cancers exactly that it would have the most efficacious uh, results uh, it's it's at the beginning of our yeah. study we're ho- we're hoping that uh, i could expand the the study uh for uh for, for cancer uh perhaps uh in the mid uh, to, uh second or third quarter of next year but for now i think uh, we are focused on uh, and multiple sclerosis, and I'm right now. I think the first uh, one of the first studies that we are doing now for wound healing for uh, animal model, uh, I think that's going to be important because one of the things is that for for multiple sclerosis and for degenerative disc, you have to look at long term uh, at the patients, right? Typically, a year, two years. Uh, whereas with wound healing, typically when we're looking at diabetic foot ulcers, et cetera, which is predominant uh, and uh, uh, we should be able to see results within weeks rather than uh, months and months. So I think uh, that's why we're pushing ahead on wound healing uh, at the moment, but we will certainly uh, pick up uh, cancer uh, and hopefully by uh, second half of next year.
1: Yeah, okay. you, know, you know, Matt, the, the, the promise of cell therapy and all that Hamid's talking about is actual cures. And I think you'll see that gene therapy, immunotherapy, you look at the last couple of Nobel Prizes. One was in CRISPR and one was in the immunotherapy with uh, Dr. Allison here in Houston, MD Anderson. And so what, what the promise of cell therapy, gene therapy and immunotherapy is that you actually have a cure for these chronic conditions. And we've been, you know, uh, I, I took uh, pharmaceuticals this morning to control cholesterol and high blood pressure. Those are and that's what we have available to us, but we can't find an example in the last sixty plus years of big pharma where they've actually cured a chronic disease using chemicals. It just doesn't it doesn't there really hasn't work. Been yeah there hasn't been one. And you and and so the 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 promise of an actual cure for a chronic disease we've worked been working on for sixty years at the chemical level, hasn't happened. It's going to happen through cell therapy. It's almost, uh, without sounding too granola or hippie, it's going to be by teaching the body with its own cells to cure itself. I mean, the disease emanated from that body. And to use an external chemical compound to cure that disease almost doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that that's where the growth of medicine over the next couple of decades Will be centered on cell therapy, and I think you'll see the first couple of uh, commercial applications where cell therapy uh, will be approved this year for chronic condition. and um, uh, And I think that'll that'll kick off the the race. Will be on at that point.
0: Yeah, that's a good. It's uh, absolutely. I mean, good, excellent points. Um, and a, and a good segue to uh, another element of the conversation I wanted to have with with you too. And that's um, I want to get your perspectives on. You know, here you are developing. You're you're working on developing a, a cell therapy that is derived from uh, don't you know donor cells, donor i.e. harvested from uh, you know uh, excess surgical material, and you're taking that. You're you're attempting to create an allogeneic you know off the shelf uh, application uh, for for just about mm-hmm. anybody. And, and then I look at, like, Dr. Koja's background, and I go, oh, this guy worked in, like, genomics, right? Like, he spent quite a bit of time on that. And I, and I talked awesome. I, I talk to any number of other, uh, you know, founders of so-called, you know, personalized or precision medicine companies who are working in, you know, just as much earnest as, as you guys are to develop uh, specific medicines to address specifically Pete O'Hara's cholesterol and high blood pressure, not mine, not Dr. (laughs) Right. So, so what I see here in in my simple minded kind of way is some conflict. I see some conflict. Like we, you know, we're hearing from uh, one side of the market that the the future in biologics is in highly precise and personalized medicine. And then, and then we turn around and we go, Oh, well, there's a company that's looking to make medicine for everybody to, uh, to, to, to heal their wounds created from cells that, you know, we, we don't even know where, who those cells came from, but they're alginate and they're going to work in all of us. Help me reconcile the, uh, the conflict here. Right.
2: I mean, genomics, epigenomics, uh, they're, they're all tied in to uh, cell therapy, right? Uh, I mean, they have to be. Uh, it, it's a matter of how things work. I think the more we have, a, the better understanding we have of genomics and epigenomics, the better we will understand tissue regeneration, tissue-based or cell-based uh, therapies. Uh, because if you think of it, uh, for example, um, fibroblasts are not genetically different than any other cells in your body. They're epigenetically different. That's what makes them fibroblasts. It's the, how epigenetically different they are as compared to the other uh, other cells. That's, differ- that's what differentiates one cell type uh, from another and i think uh and the more the better understanding we have of, of epigenomics the better we will understand on how to uh, destined the fate of some of these cells to become certain cell types so epigenetic studies uh, epigenetic based experimentation studies and markers well, that's something that i'm certainly looking at uh, for some of our uh, in-house research because that's an important aspect of being able to uh, carry out some of these tissue regeneration and cell therapy. I think it's important. Uh, Even if you look at the fibroblasts, there are many multiple uh, subtypes of fibroblasts. Genetically, they're they're identical, but epigenetically, just certain genes being on and off in one as compared to the other, that's what makes them different and destined to be uh, their fate on becoming a different cell type is completely different. So I think um, I don't see a conflict per se between genomics, epigenomics, uh, and cell therapy. I think they go hand in hand, and, and they have to. Uh, I, I just don't see cell therapy being successful without the knowledge that has been obtained in epigenomics. Yeah, And I think that's that's one thing that we, we don't focus on a lot is epigenomics. It's uh, I think in my opinion, while genomics is very important, epigenomics is going to be the next phase in a lot of um, cell-based therapies and cures uh, for human disease. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Um, What what does that mean from a a practical application standpoint? So let's say there's a situation where, you know, perhaps, um, I don't want to make any assumptions about the, the market potential for the candidates you're working on, but perhaps, you know, wound healing is it's an unlimited market i mean it's a that's that's on un, that's an unlimited uh application uh, uh in, in that space um so so based on what you described to me uh would there you know w- would it be incumbent upon uh fibrobiologics to create like several variations of a wound healing therapeutic to fit i guess i guess to to fit a specific People or specific
1: uh... you know, it's it, Matt's interesting. We actually filed intellectual property on that um about four years ago where we grade the donors and we grade the recipients. And we see a day in the future where you'll match. You'll have three to four different grades of donors, three or four different grades of recipients. And depending upon the disease path, you'll uh, you'll match up the donor with the recipient. That's really looking over the horizon on this, but that's where the future is. so if it, so to the extent that the, you can actually target we i think we can um, what would you call that hamid optimize the 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 donor to the recipient i think you'll see that in the next phase
2: right i mean and, th- and this and this might be uh, a good way to segue into personal medicine right you mm-hmm. could easily take a, a dermal punch from a patient Uh, isolate the specific fibroblasts necessary. Let's just say these patients have uh, diabetic ulcers. You can easily take uh, cells from them and grow it into the fibroblasts that are necessary for their wound healing. It just takes uh, a few weeks. So that's a possibility. But we also find that uh, fibroblasts like stem cells are um, have minimal uh, immunogenicity and that they're tolerable. And we've seen that uh, even in our clinical trial for uh, both degenerative disc and, and, and multiple sclerosis where we infused 100 million cells, we didn't see any adverse offense uh, occurring short-term and long-term. And the same with uh, the degenerative disc study with 21 patients. We didn't see any. So I think uh, um, while we can certainly consider them tolerogenic and being able to use tissue from... Different patients, as, as uh, um, Pete mentioned, grade the patients uh, uh, immun- immunologically to several different groups and use them. Certainly, that's a possibility. And I think we, we should be able to also determine, let's just say a certain subpopulation of fibroblasts will work well with, <laughs> uh, uh, with um, uh, diabetic ulcers. But some other ones might work better with pressure uh, or, or friction-based also, such as bed sores, et cetera. So I, I think we're, we're, we're keeping an open mind in, in terms of looking at all those uh, uh, possibilities and potential for our fibroblasts.
0: Very good. And Pete, thanks for jumping in there and, and uh, in, in, in answering my question before it was fully formed, because I wasn't sure how to finish it and I didn't know if it was really smart or really simple, but you, uh, you made me sound really smart when you said I was looking way over the horizon. So good.
1: Yeah, there you are. <laughs> great
2: question so far.
0: Oh, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, give us an update on your, we, we're, we're actually running pretty short on time here. I feel like I could continue asking you guys, uh, questions that go around in circles here all afternoon, but, we're running short on time, so I'm going to need to wrap things up a little bit. But I, I want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to um, discuss, uh, you know, what's next, what's going on in the in the in the pipeline, um, with the, you know, whether, whether you have any big milestones kind of coming up in the next uh, six months to a year. Give us an indication as to where things are going.
1: From a business standpoint, we're on kind of an IPO path, um, so we'll be um, taking the company public either through uh, reverse merger or through a SPAC or through a traditional IPO. So I think you'll see that um, ramping up of uh, resources uh, to pursue uh, even more clinical pathways. So I think that from a business aspect, that's the next uh, big thing. And then uh, um, I guess I would add to that that Hamid will be getting his own lab and his own manufacturing facility to go with that, which is the dream of every CSO. They'll be able to leave his office and walk straight into his lab. So uh, uh, that's exciting.
0: I'm gonna go ahead. Go ahead and assume this is the first time that Hamid's heard, heard that you were saving this episode <laughs> of the Business Bio. <laughs> no, Pete
1: and I, Pete and I have a good transparent
2: uh, relationship, so please. <laughs> uh, I've been
1: aware.
0: <laughs> was it, uh, Pete? Was it Was it the intention all along uh, to 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 go the IPO route, or, or have you sort of juked and jived a little bit as you've as you've grown and matured the business over the years? What What was sort of the intention there?
1: Well, we were a private company for a long time, and I think the, the intention has always been to either um, take some of these disease paths and license them out to major pharma or to um, what we've done is we've pulled the crown jewels out to form Fibrobiologics for the purpose of taking that public. So, um, you know, if you want to get to the next level and you want multiple um, clinical programs going on, you, you absolutely need to have – um, access to those resources and you can get that through the, uh, through the public market. And I think they will be receptive to this. You know, we're, we are, again, everything we're attacking, first of all, it's the first time anyone's ever done it. So IV infusion of fibroblasts from allogeneic fibroblasts had never been done before. Uh, And and we're attacking diseases that have no cures, everything that we're working on, there are currently no cures. So um, uh, from that standpoint, I think it'd be attractive for the public markets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, you know, hopefully your timing is, is, is good. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's ever like a a bad, bad time per se, but the way that the the biotech markets have looked for the past, I don't know, six, nine going on 12 months uh, that, you know, newly IPO companies have been taking quite a beating. Neither. I
1: I hear from my surgeons on a daily basis, the market's down. What are, what are our plans? The market's up. We got to go. And I said, you know what? You go when you go and there's, it's impossible to time the market. So you just hope that the day that you go out is a good day in the market, but you really don't have control over that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. Um, so any other any other kind of concluding thoughts on the direction uh, of fiber biologics and what's, what's coming up next?
1: You know, right now we're building out the rest of our management team, uh, moving into our new space, and I think you'll be seeing um, multiple uh, announcements coming out. We just filed some really, uh, I would say, it's historic IP with respect to the immune system that we'll be announcing uh, in the next few months. It's really, really exciting, Mm -hmm. Uh, an extension of human life type of excitement. So we'll uh, we'll be announcing that in. uh, Not to put too much pressure on Hamid, but he 'll have fun. Not at all. he has a lot to work on He's
0: got well, that shiny good for work got that shiny new lab to work on it in
1: so. right right awesome yeah.
0: well listen I know there's more to talk about uh there's just not enough time right now so we're going to uh you know we'll 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 stay in touch and maybe uh do a part two here maybe when that paper comes out when there's a bit more to talk about and the company uh who's a little further down the road but it's a great start to the conversation because I I learned a lot. I, I appreciate you both for uh, subjecting yourselves to my sometimes naive uh, questions and offering the education. I think it was valuable to me and, and certainly valuable to our audience. So thank you guys for coming on.
1: Great. Thank you for thanks, you. thanks for having it. us. Appreciate it.
0: So that's fibrobiologics founder, chairman, and CEO, Pete O'Haran, and chief scientific officer, Dr. Hamid Koja. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're supported by Cytiva, which demonstrates its commitment to early-stage biopharma at the Emerging Biotech Accelerator. You can find it at Cytiva.com emergingbiotech Visit Cytiva, then visit me at BioprocessOnline.com, where I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter, learn from the writing of your peers, and listen to the entire library of Business of Biotech episodes. If you're enjoying conversations like these, Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. See you next week. And as always, thanks for listening.